This episode is supported by Bento Box and Clover. There's no doubt that running a restaurant is a lot of hard work. Fortunately, Bento Box and Clover are now working together to provide restaurants with the technology they need. Bento Box is an all-in-one platform for websites, online ordering, and marketing tools, while Clover provides world-class point-of-sale and payment solutions. Integrating the two helps restaurants streamline operations and deliver an even better guest experience. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com forward slash better for more info. Amusements have been quite literally a game changer for CCs. Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Jeff Hetzel, the president of the 300-unit pizza buffet chain. CeCe's has had a strong performance coming out of the pandemic, with sales up 14.5% last year, according to Technomic, and one of the big reasons is video games. CeCe's has been convincing operators to expand their game rooms from the small rooms with eight games they used to have to much larger rooms with prizes and token cards and everything you would expect out of an arcade these days. And that has been a major sales boost for the company and its franchisees. Jeff talks about just how much of a sales lift these video games have had for the individual operator. And what's more, that sales lift is far more profitable than the sale of pizzas. We're talking pizza and video games on today's A Deeper Dive, so please have a listen. All right, I'm here with Jeff Hetzel. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Jonathan. I appreciate it. All right, super. Tell, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do at CC's. Well, I've been in the restaurant business my entire life and career. I've uh, been with CC's for about 30 years, started out as a manager, moved into being a multi-unit manager and opening up stores all over the country. Came back and sold franchises for the brand. When the founder sold the company, I went out to become a franchisee uh, myself and opened up 13 restaurants, which has turned out to be great training for being the leader of the company. Uh, You know exactly where the franchisees stand and what they're looking for from leadership at a corporate office. So that's been very helpful. Was on the Franchise Advisory Council and At the time in 2017, I was really concerned about the financial model for the brand and how they were marketing the brand. And I had a lot of feedback and I was asked to come back and do some consulting. A few weeks later into my consulting project, I became the chief development officer. A little later, I became the COO in 19, became the president of CCs and then uh, COVID started. So uh, it was uh, quite a ride. It's been quite a ride. Mm -hmm. So you know a little bit then what's going on uh, at CC's. You got a little bit of uh, a little bit of history there, I suppose. Absolutely, I uh, run the restaurant company uh, CC's Pizza, and also I'm over the distribution arm of our company with my partner Alicia. She's a, a COO of the distribution company, but we distribute to all the CC's and another brand called Rita's Italian Ice. So. It's also nice to be involved in those brands. And on top of that, I'm still a two-store franchisee. So I have a store in Fort Worth and one in the colony, Texas. So still got uh, still got your uh, uh, hand in that particular cookie jar, huh? Still got your feet in it? Absolutely love it. I love, uh, I'm sure I'll be a franchisee longer than a president, but uh, I love uh, I love my stores and we've had them for a while. And they're uh, all those people there, family and Every time there's a decision made or somebody comes to the table with a 
great idea or opportunity, I can immediately deduce it to what is that going to affect me financially. So it's very helpful to have my hand in the stores. Right. Cool. So how are uh, how are things going right now? Things right now are going really, really well. Uh, over 2019, we're over 10% positive. I think we're 30% positive over last year. We still have about 300 stores. We're in the process of going to got a booth and going to franchise shows and starting to get some traction on selling franchises, which has been fantastic. We have a big, one of the big things with us is we have game, uh, video games are a big part of our deal. Now over time, they never were a big deal. It was just kind of a small room off to the right that took tokens. And now we have some game rooms that are 2000, 3000 square feet uh, card readers. So we, you know, we've really focused in on games and how that affects the financial model. But I think most importantly, just we've gone back and the way I've always looked at CCs when, since I've been back is it's not something you have to reinvent. It's really just a restoration job, restoring the quality, restoring the service. It's a, a really strong legacy brand. Um, we actually just had the original founder of CCs came and spoke a few weeks ago at our conference. And it was unbelievably uh, exciting to have him, I would say, kind of endorse the direction we are on now. He wouldn't do that for a long time. He wasn't real involved in things. But Joe came to the conference and it was unbelievable to hear him talk about basically where things were in 1985 and in the early 90s. All of that was exciting because those are things that we're still uh, super focused on. Yeah, cool. Good, good bit to unpack here about some of the things that you're talking about. So the first one is the games issue, because uh, I, I've, I, I remember hearing about that when that was first, when that was first coming up, and and the story to me is is fascinating because you didn't own the video games for the longest time, didn't you? And then and then now you did not only not only do you own the video games, but now you're kind of going full bore into it. Tell me about that. Well, to, to give an example, and, and uh, since this is going to be for everyone's public consumption, you know, I need to give a disclaimer, you know, your results may vary, right? <laughs> but as a franchise, as a franchisee in my two stores, if uh, someone else owned the games, and I was uh, going to get just part of that, you really get a third of it, take a third for product, and you get a third. Uh, they also don't have a lot of incentive to put in the very best, newest, hottest games. So in my stores, in a single in a single store environment, a pretty high volume store, I was only getting one percent of that revenue. And really? then when I bought when I bought games, I get ten percent. So it makes a substantial difference. And we have a one of our franchisees just happens to be a game expert. He has twenty stores, has huge full redemption game rooms, just like if you went to a uh, Dave and Buster's or, or something like that. And he's getting way better than that results. So the games are a huge, huge part uh, of our of our future. No, so that is that 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 the kind of model that you're planning to 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 bring to the rest of the company? You think? No, it's absolutely. It's uh, it's really for us. It's a not to be kind of cliche, but for us, it's kind of a game changer huh. when you take somebody that's got a restaurant and they have. They're getting that 1% return and, that, and those games, again, aren't that great. Uh, we really have three different types of model. One is you, if you want to have a small 
game room, you know, 300 to 600 square feet, something like that. You do card readers, you know, that's a, that's a great model. If you, the next model up would be what we call self-redemption where there's a, a, a machine on the wall and you can go and you win prizes to get, get tickets for rewarded for gameplay. And then you can select prizes out of their uh, Xbox or something like that. And then the next one is full redemption where we have a person main on the counter. And some of those are three, you know, 3,500, 4,000 square feet so far, but it's really up to the franchisee. We have our base model CCs, our, our classic CCs buffet model, and then you can bolt on whichever one of those you want. And the great thing about the games is especially uh, if you do it right and you really pay attention to it, whatever you spend that return on that somewhere between 10 and, you know, 13 months. So you pay for that game room. It's uh, way more profitable than, than any kind of food you're going to sell. Right. Cause there's very little labor in it. So it's, it's an unbelievable part of our business. And I think it's where we really, I was in a conversation with someone a few weeks ago and they're like, well, you're kind of like a mod. No, we're all you can eat. And we'll make you whatever you want, as many as you want. Our drinks are free refills, dessert and everything's included. But we have this whole other game component. So it's really two franchises at the same time in a lot of ways. And it's really stimulated our growth with our, it's excited our franchise base. We have a lot of long-term franchisees that are now remodeling their stores, taking on the space next to them to build this bigger game room. And it's just been unbelievably well-received. It's a big part of our program going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, like to me, it's, it's you know, pizza and video games have been well-established partners in various places. I mean, you had video games at the, you know, at the outset. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember those <laughs> video game rooms and they, you know, very small. You know, we would take my kids to, to CC's and they'd have a couple of games and, you know, maybe they'd occupy themselves for a couple of minutes, but nothing. But to me, it always seemed like there was an opportunity there for something in addition to that over time. And it sounds like it just took somebody to kind of prove it out. Yeah, no. And I, and I, and uh, most of the good ideas in my experience, and I'm saying this being a franchisee and then also working the corporate office, a lot of your best ideas come from the franchisees. And I really give credit to one of our franchisees in particular, Greg Costley, kind of a funny story. In 1992, he was my assistant manager in Mesquite, Texas. Now he owns 20 stores and he's uh, done an unbelievable job with games. So much so that when we go to the franchise show in Vegas here in November, I'm actually flying him in so he can also help talk to franchisees about this deal. He can talk to him in a way I really can't, right? He can show him his data. And uh, people love uh, num- you know, hard numbers and true data. So it's a, it's a really exciting position that we find ourselves in today with those, with those games. And I think we're, and again, it's a big differentiator. If you go to, a, you know, Chuck E. Cheese, it's, you know, it's all a la carte. You buy a pizza, you, you buy the drinks, you buy the pitcher for drinks or those kind of things. And again, with CC's, it's all you can eat, you know, and, $7.99 for the buffet, uh, $1.99 for a, a drink, you're $10 without, you know, under $10 without taxes. And it's all you can eat. They make you whatever you want. 
And then I think the game experience has changed a lot since you said, hey, when I took my kids and when I took my kids uh, to CC's, there wasn't really anything for me in there. I wasn't really interested in anything. There wasn't anything interactive that you could do with your kids. And now it's a whole different world of games. They have unbelievable games on their phone, but being in that environment, playing your parents in different games, there's a game called Nerf Shooter. It's kind of a silly, you know, shooting a Nerf gun, you know, kind of game, or whether it's the old school air hockey table, um, there's a you know, bowling games. There's all sorts of different kinds of games you'll see in all these game rooms. And largely we've let the franchisees make the decision. What's the best games for them to invest in, in their environment. We're not dictatorial in that at all. If they, if they're an environment that's mostly kids, they may skew a little one way, but if they're an environment that's a little bit uh, older kids, they may do something else. And then demographically different, different groups like different games. So it's a real, you know, CC's is still about food and, you know, quality and pizza. The games are just a whole nother rap, uh, revenue stream that's been critically important to us attracting new franchisees and getting, we have a ton of legacy franchisees and we've been here second and third generation family now running businesses and to get those second gens to invest in the third gens remodels and and all that, when they see the revenue that the games produce, it's made getting people signed up fairly easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Zork, you now own all the games now. Is that how that works? I would say, well, so we have 10 corporate stores and, our, and corporate stores, we're following the same thing. We've, we've done it. I would say 75 to 80% of our franchisees own and operate their own games. There was an effort in 2017 by the leadership at that time to get every single franchisee to sign up with a national amusement group. You know, I believe that was probably one of the worst decisions in the history of CCs personally. Hmm. And uh, when I say things like that, I, you know, I like that, you know, all math-based fact-based data. And when you take somebody making, you know, 10, nine, 8% of their, you know, million, three, million, four, million, five sales and change it for a one, that's definitely what I'm trying to unwind is next year. I focus really solely on the financial model of our brand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me, so what was, okay. So when did you, how, when did the, so the model, when did the model fully change then on video games? On video games, really, it's just been people as they adopt it. I think one thing that we've done a great job, I've got unbelievable partners. You know, we have no debt and we own this thing outright. We don't deal with a PE group. It's just us making good decisions. And both of my partners are franchise uh, ease for other brands, Applebee's, Sonic, Muya, and others. And really a lot about, you know, some of the best kind of leadership is just getting out of the way of it. There was some real heavy handed under PE groups, real heavy handed, you know, we're not going to allow the franchisees to do this. We're not going to allow them to do that. Another great example of a bad decision was, we're not going to let you sign up for Olo until you adopt our new POS system. Really? Well, you get paid by royalties. The franchisees want it, you know, give it to them. You know, they pay the fees. They, they're the ones that incur the expense of the third-party delivery, but whether it's video games, Olo, things like that, I think my, you got to let people have entrepreneurship, you know, if they don't have, you know, 
entrepreneurship, they're never going to be successful because everything that's gone on in the restaurant business the last five years has been adapt or die. You know, you can't just take what you did for history and then just cram it into this new environment where because it just will not work. Right, right. So what was uh, what was going on in 2017 that made you so frustrated? As a phrase, you know, I, I just I think it was just decision after decision that chipped away at the profitability of the company. Uh, um, you know, you know, one month the initiative was we're going to save labor by putting self-busing stations in all the stores, and we're going to go to all paper products. Sounds good, sounds interesting, but it drove paper up one and a half percent, and you still had to have somebody clean the tables. So you didn't gain anything. You really lost. And then uh, signed a new Coke contract. We love Coke. We've been partners with Coke since the very beginning in 1985. And we'll probably be partners with them for the long, long term. But, you know, one of the things they did was they decided to do or not. They go to go away from brewed tea and, and brewed sweet tea and go to bag in a box, you know, teas and a peach tea that added one percent on to the beverage cost. And then the aforementioned games, you know, what'd you lose? Five, six, seven percent there. And, you know, then they put a remodel on that was a $250,000 remodel and stores cost a million dollars and we're doing a million dollars in sales. And it's hard to believe nobody jumped all all over that, right? (laughs) So, you know, you gotta, you gotta realize, you know, what you are and kind of where you are, but one of my very first meetings I put up on the board, hey, these are the 10 points of profitability you took away from me at my store at TCU. Here's what I was doing. Here's the decision. Here's the result. And here's all the examples. And it's really hard to argue with math if you're a smart, you know, smart person, you know. Mm-hmm. So most times, especially with PE groups, you can come to some commonality around mathematics. Right. right. Yeah. They do know math. They, they, you know, they know math, but, you know, they also know how to lose money too. Mm-hmm. You know, they, uh, I learned a lot. I had never had, I never had the experience of working with the PE group before. And it was an unbelievable experience to me to, to see uh, how uh, prone to mistakes they can, they can be by, you know, trying to, trying to outsmart really simple systems. You know, CCs is unbelievably simple. Our goal is to try to keep it simple. And as you make it more and more complex, the results aren't as good. But it's really about, you know, while your guests have hot, fresh food, make sure the place is clean, you know, uh, make sure when they leave, they're happy. You know, it's a very simple deal, but you can make it as complicated as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Private equity groups are, uh, are, kind, of, kind, of, are kind of prone to mistakes, for sure. I don't think there's any question about that. I want to get back again to, to harping on the video game. So just to make sure I'm clear. So it went from you're getting 1% of the revenue under the old system. And now mm-hmm. it's 10% or is it more than that? It, it, that it, again, again, it varies. In my own experience, I have one store that's doing eight and I got another one that's doing nine. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to get Greg to share his results with me and other franchisees send me their results. And I'm seeing 10, 15s, and 20s, depending on of depending your total, on how, yeah. Yeah, total revenue. Yeah. Wow. So, for, you know, for example, we have a store, you know, we have a store that's doing 35000 a week and they're getting $8,000 uh, a week in games, you know, so that's a pretty impressive add-on, right? 
Yeah. One of our big initiatives for next year is we're hiring somebody to do it. But as we're trying to endeavor to make the model the best that we possibly can, we're collecting all the franchisees. We're going to have somebody on a monthly basis, you know, put them all together and really look at them hard. But we're actually right now, if you look at our financials for CCs, it's buffet, kids buffet, drinks, takeout, catering, that kind of stuff. But we're, we're putting the games on the top line. I'd say 75 of our franchisees have already adopted that but they're putting the sales on the top line so they can really see where they're at. Most of the time it's way at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it's way up here at the top. So we have the ability to really evaluate how the game rooms are affecting your uh, operating expenses, you know, your rent, your food, your labor, everything. Uh, When you take that and flow it all the way down, it it makes uh, business much different. And we also have, if you start looking at what our average unit volume is, now that we're adding the games back in next year, we'll start doing it kind of officially across the system, but it's going to make a massive difference on how we stack up to other QSRs. Right. Right. So you're talking about, you know, you're talking about like basically an, an extra hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue ish, uh, depending yeah, on yeah. the sites. And, but that's, that's, that's a profitable hundred thousand dollars. Absolutely. Between $100,000 and $200,000, I would say is kind of more the, the top and the bottom. But, you know, we've got a, you know, we've got one example where someone's probably going to do just under $500,000 in games this year. And it's a high volume store, but that's a significant amount of money to add on. And it's, just, you know, you look at when the founder owned the company, he, his focus was, he was maniacal about quality and service and and uh, that's the focus. And game rooms were no more than 300 square feet, no more than eight games. I don't want people focused on that. I want them to watch the buffet, you know. And at the time, the brand was so profitable, you could do that. But as time's gone on, you know, you have to mature and change and adapt. And, you know, this game just has made provided an unbelievable opportunity for that. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Is there anything that you have to like, are there, was there anything that you have to sort of adapt to with the the new system? Like, is it, is it considerably different operating a, a, you know, uh, a location with a a substantial uh, game room versus one with just eight? In the, in the first couple of examples I gave you where it's just the card readers and it's also, and it's just the, uh, the self-redemption in those first two, it really doesn't require, Require anymore. It's just cleaning. If those were all tables and chairs, you'd have a certain amount of cleaning involved as well, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get to the third level, you really have to have somebody back there behind the counter, um, which means you have to have two or three somebody's trained. The other thing, the beauty of it is, and uh, I've m- I mentioned Dave and Buster's before, but I think you know, to me, they were kind of pioneers in it that that model. But when we went from tokens to card readers at our store at TCU my repairs went down 40% because most of the repairs were coin jams and this, that, and the other thing. And the other one was you really didn't know how well it did by until you looked in this bucket of metal tokens, you know, it was a bucket full, half full, three quarters full. Is a good deal or not? Now I can on my phone, watch both of my restaurants and all of the corporate stores. How are they doing today? If I do scan through them and look at them, um, I you know, don't sit here all day and do it. But when I do go look at those numbers, if I see somebody's underperforming, I can go in and look at the games and say, oh, they've got one or two games are out of order. Call the manager, 
and have them look into it. But technology really has allowed us to also to most of those times when you were putting your hard earned money into those token machines, it was cash. Now we have the ability to take credit cards. So folks, you know, go back there and maybe buy a little more because they're using a credit card sometimes. So, and then that money goes directly into the bank. Our new POS system that we're rolling out uh, starting in January, we'll have a brand new POS system for the whole system at the end of next year. That new POS system has an API that hooks up to this card reader so that you have real-time sales going in every single day. So that's going to be fantastic when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. So want to get to this before. So you've had a pretty decent couple of years here for sure. What's, uh, what's been, what's been going on? Why, uh, you know, why, I mean, besides the video games, obviously, but what's been going on the last couple of years that have pulled up customers in? I think one of the, I think one of the big things is I've made a concerted effort to go out and hire, you know, we have, we had an unbelievable company and a, a company culture for a long time. And there were folks that got disenchanted, let go, whatever, you know, 15, 16, 17, during those years where uh, they went out and worked at other brands. And I've gone back and tried to capture as many of those as I can. <laughs> you know, the people that have been here 15 and 20 years and left because they didn't want to, left because it just wasn't, was changing away from a legacy brand that we love to something else, right? And so I've brought in a lot of great quality people. COVID, quite frankly, I would hate to say something like this because it hurt a lot of people. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, so many people died and this and that. But from a purely business standpoint, COVID was an unbelievable blessing for CCs. We took zero government money or anything like that. So it wasn't any of those things. We didn't get a dollar of the, any of the PPP, one, two, EIDL, none of it. But that being said, you know, there were just a, bunch of poor decisions, stacked on a bunch of poor decisions, stacked on a bunch of poor decisions. Um, we had 50 corporate stores scattered all over the country. They were bought largely to keep them from closing. So they were unsuccessful stores. When I took over to be a COO, we had 50 stores in all manner of states and they're averaging 13 or 14,000 a year. Now our corporate stores, we have you know nine about to open a 10th and our corporate stores are averaging $28,000 a year. So we built back stronger. We had a distribution center in Capel, Texas that we've had for a long time that was paid off and great class B minus office stuff. And so we got out of, in 2017, they built a class A, Las Colinas, fancy corporate office. And we used the opportunity of COVID and uh, all that to get out of all of that. And so now we're just, you know, lean, mean, all the principles the founder had, I have, you know, just all that stuff's a waste, you know, pay people, use your cash to grow the brand, make sure you have a lot of cash to go through any kind of issue. Um, but we're, we're unbelievably fortunate uh, right now to be in the position we are. Right. Super Jeff, this was fantastic. Really appreciate you joining me this week on the podcast. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate your time and uh, great talking to you, Jonathan. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kaczmarek. 
artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your fancy listening shows. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. This episode is supported by Bento Box and Clover. There's no doubt that running a restaurant is a lot of hard work. Fortunately, Bento Box and Clover are now working together to provide restaurants with the technology they need. Bento Box is an all-in-one platform for websites, online ordering, and marketing tools, while Clover provides world-class point-of-sale and payment solutions. Integrating the two helps restaurants streamline operations and deliver an even better guest experience. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com forward slash better for more info.